Welcome to Shop Talk Live, episode number 210. Today, we are joined by two people who actually know how to operate a lathe. Josh Friend, the editor of American Woodturner, which is the American Association of Woodturners Journal, and AAW board member and woodworking slash woodturning teacher Janet Collins joins us as well. And we answer all of your turning questions. So little bit of a change of pace for us, but I'm pretty excited about the show. It was a great show. We had a lot of fun. But first, I want to let everyone know that we've got two giveaways going on right now. The first one starts on March 1st, and we are giving away a Shaper Origin. So head on over to findwoodworking.com slash Shaper Tools and enter to win a Shaper Origin. If you don't know about the Shaper Origin, it's a handheld CNC. It's pretty much powered by magic and pixie dust. I can't explain it any better. So head on over to findwoodworking.com slash shaper tools and sign up. The other giveaway that we've got going on, we are bringing back our military scholarship to Find Woodworking Live. We're giving away three seats to Find Woodworking Live and it includes hotel and travel expenses. So if you know any woodworkers who are U.S. or Canadian active duty military or veterans, have them head on over to findwoodworking.com scholarship so that they can get a chance at one of those three scholarships. So those two giveaways, Shaper Origin over at findwoodworking.com Shaper Tools or three spots and all expenses travel hotel to Find Woodworking Live this year. And if you haven't signed up for Fine Woodworking Live, which is April 17th through 20th, Southbridge, Massachusetts, now's your chance. We found a little bit more room in the banquet hall, and we opened up a few more seats. So head on over to FineWoodworkingLive.com, check out the program, and see what it's all about. All right, here's a brief message from one of our sponsors. For more than 90 years, Woodcraft has been supplying woodworkers with quality tools, supplies, and advice. For the best in hand tools, power tools, and shop essentials, you can count on Woodcraft from start to finish. Check them out for woodworking classes, free demos, and project advice from knowledgeable, friendly staff. With 75 stores nationwide, you can find a store in your neighborhood or shop woodcraft.com for your favorite woodworking brands. Woodcraft, helping you make wood work since 1928. So I am joined by two woodturners. We we normally are uh, pretty poor in the woodturning talent in this room, but today we are overflowing. So we have we have <laughs> we have Jana Collins, uh, who you teach at Dartmouth, Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire, and you've also taught at North Bennett Street School in Boston. Did you go to North Bennett? I did. I was oh, okay. a student there from. 95 to 96, so now you know how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, and what do you teach at at Dartmouth? Well, Dartmouth is unique in college level. The shop is available for any student or faculty member to use it for their own pleasure. Really? Yes. So So if you didn't want to go to Dartmouth already. Right. You you have that as as a resource. And it was started... Back in after the Second World War for for recreational purposes for students. And they opened it up for faculty too, so students and faculty could interact and without the academic pressures. 
We do have some classes that use the shop, but primarily my job is someone walks through the door and says, I want to make a table. Uh-huh. I want to turn a bowl. I want to um, make a, a bookcase. We get all kinds of things, yeah. a whole range of projects that people want. So it's it's a um, one-on-one most of the time teaching. Mm-hmm. So normally <laughs> you're not just turning. You're doing a lot of flat work as well. A lot, yeah. But in your, as an artist, you're primarily a turner. Currently, yes. Okay. I mean, my my career as a woodworker has been primarily a custom furniture maker, mm-hmm. and um, with an, a strong interest always in turning. Mm-hmm. So that meant mostly spindle turning, table legs, bed posts. Made a lot of beds for customers, um, and that sort of trans, um, transfers into the bowl turning that I do now. And a lot of the bowl turning I do now has elements of furniture making incorporated into it, such as inlay and carving. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's sort of where I'm at right now. Okay. So when I have the time, I'm doing something like that. Okay. So and <clears throat> over here on my left, we have, we have Josh Friend. You are, well, you, you do flat work as well, you're, yeah. you're, but you're primarily a turner, right? Right. Primarily a turner. Um, but I have done all kinds of woodworking and wood turning. Um, also have a background in English and publishing, and so uh, I used. I my joke is I used to be a wood turner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am still a wood turner, but um, most of my time is spent working uh, on editing American American wood turner. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's, and uh, American wood turner is it's a journal, right? Or it's the Journal of the American Association of Wood Turners. So, so the uh, AAW. So let's let's start off by. By telling our audience, because our audience, like like I was saying earlier, is primarily furniture making based. So wood turning is is many times thought of as a different skill set or a different art. But the AAW does, yeah, it's really interesting because you know so many woodworkers naturally have a lathe in their shop, yeah, and yet uh, there's a certain niche of people who you know, just went off the deep end with it and, <laughs> and uh, they, they caught the bug and, and that's all they do. And, you know, for a lot of us, the, the table saw is really a table <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we do nothing but turning. Um, You're just gluing up segmented rings on it. <laughs> it, it is kind of an addiction, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's just a great, um, it's a great pastime. It's a great yeah. hobby. And for some, it's a, it's a good profession. Uh, so, and so, so, so the AAW is, is an organization with there currently there's about 15,000, uh, members. Wow. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization, uh, around, uh, education. Um, uh, and so the American Woodturner is the journal of that association. And then in that regard, I don't think of it as a, a commercial magazine, mm-hmm. uh, as much as the journal of a nonprofit association, yeah. which is quite different. Yeah. And, um, there's also a symposium coming up, right? Yes. Of the AAW. That's right. And uh, refer back to Janet. Uh, Janet is an AAW board member, and one of her assignments on the board is uh, symposium chair. Yes. And there is uh, so actually we're going into our 34th annual symposium, uh, and this year it's in um, Louisville, Kentucky. I love Louisville. I have to practice have saying you been it. There yet? Oh yes, it's Louisville. <clears throat> I know. I have to practice how to. I I'm Louisville. not going to try and say it on air, because okay? <laughs> <laughs> someone from that area will see me in the symposium and say, 
you butchered it. <laughs> I lived in Nashville for quite a while, and you knew when somebody was from Louisville because yeah. they said Louisville. Louisville. That's like uh, up here. We we always joke we're in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and that's that that shibboleth thing of is it Lancaster or is it Lancaster? <laughs> so Louisville. So it's uh, as Josh mentioned, June fourth to seventh mm-hmm. at the Louisville Convention or Kentucky Convention Center. Expo, Expo Center. Expo Center, sorry. Yeah. Expo Center. And um, the um, three days of demonstrations, rotations by all of the top names in wood turning. Mm-hmm. Um, so you buy a, a, a pass to come in and you can sit in all, in all of these demonstrations and learn things. Meet the uh, the rock stars of the mm-hmm. wood turning world, and there's a lot of rock stars in the wood turning world. It's a really passionate audience. Oh, it is. It sure is. And there's also um, a gallery, instant gallery, and gallery component to it. So any person coming to the symposium can bring up to three pieces of their work for display. There's also um, a, a gallery, which an invited um, juried exhibit of top wood turners' mm-hmm. work. There's also um, uh, potential critiques of all of those. If you're a member and you put something in the instant gallery, you can have one of those top turners critique your work. That is worth the price of membership or entry right sure there. Sure is. Sure. And then uh, in addition, we have um, a trade show, vendor show, mm-hmm. with um, all of the top um, woodworking companies, whether it's for tools or materials or equipment. Um that it's it's um, you know bring your wallet it's you know <laughs> kids in a candy store yeah, kind yeah. of thing. So, but you're but, actually able to get your hands mm-hmm. on that yeah. whole gallery, yeah, right? And actually, yeah. on the trade show floor, there's uh, additional demonstrations by the the vendors uh, showing off their lathes and their tools, um, and you can. I don't know if you can try them or you can watch them and t- you can sure. ask about them and, and yeah. handle them. Um, it's a great opportunity. And also, I believe um, if you even if you don't have a symposium pass, you can, you can still it. go to the vendor trade show and the instant gallery oh, okay. um, right. without paying the full price. To- Do you have to be an AAW member to go to the symposium? No. No? Okay. You, you'll probably get a reduced rate in your entry fee if you are. Okay. Yeah. All right. One other added thing, too, um, it's usually held in the trade show area. There's a, an area that is uh, blocked off for the youth turning area. Mm-hmm. So we end up with about 25 lathes donated by um, the companies, tools, uh, face shields, et cetera. So there's an entire program for turning for youth, and um, there's a, a component of um, visually impaired or uh, physically limited uh, folks that uh-huh. want to learn how to turn, there's a, a part of that. Wow. All of those lathes also get donated at the end of the symposium. Wow. Okay. Lathes, so, package of tools, face shield. That's amazing. That uh, I think 15 or 25 kids yes. in the youth program, I think it's 25 kids, there's a raffle, mm-hmm. and 25 kids will go home with a complete turning package. Oh, it won't be 25. That's the total. It oh, would okay. be about half that okay, because so. then the other half are donated by people that apply for, as grants. Okay. Thank okay. Thank you. Wow. But they but go so home with yeah, a face yes. shield, tools, a lathe. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Well, our, our friend, Amy Costello, I believe has taught. Yeah. She's one of our demonstrators yeah. in the youth turning. Yeah. She, she last year and it turned into, cause I, w- I was on the road when this was happening and she was posting from Instagram about her, her class. She was uh, teaching, um, 
turned earrings. And I was like, Amy, you need to write this up for a blog or something. <laughs> and, and it actually wound up turning into two, I think, the great blogs. Um, one about the earrings and then one about teaching mm-hmm. young turners. I think that's one of the topics she's teaching this year. Oh, really? Yes, okay. earrings, yeah. That's great. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm, well, that's I'm the thing is that. at the youth program, there's really top-notch instructors like Amy, mm-hmm. um, Kip Christensen, and some mm-hmm. others. Uh, Larry Miller uh, works on that program. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a top-notch way to get kids interested in it, in this sort of handcraft that we do that yeah. – uh, so often, you know, is, is less and less taught in high schools. Sure. Um, right. That's where I started it. Um, so anyway, it's exciting to have a program for young people in wood turning. Well, let's veer off subject a little bit because that's what we do around here. Um, <laughs> do you think that the lathe is a good place to get your kids involved in woodworking? Or is it something – at what age would you right. think? Well, I know people that have taught – um, children as young as four years old. I'm okay. not saying that's the best idea. Just thinking about my own three-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, could I do that? <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe if she was a little older. Yeah. But one thing that I have always um, known about the lathe and having taught so many people how to turn, that it is almost instant gratification. Yeah. So that, you know, you put this lump of wood on the the lathe and all of a sudden it becomes something. You know, even in demonstrating, I've demonstrated um, many, many times. And one of the things that I usually demonstrate are eggs, wooden eggs. Everybody knows what an egg looks like. And I distinctly remember this one show I was at, this, this little boy, probably six or seven years old. What are you making? And I held up the block of wood which was rectangular. I said, there's an egg in here. I have to find it. (laughs) And I put it on the lathe and started doing the turning. He got so excited. He jumped up and down. You found it. You found the egg. It it was just so precious. Of course, he left with that egg. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) But So I think that it can be um, something that, their attention span might yeah. be shorter, so it is something that is um, probably a little bit more conducive to younger younger adults. I think yeah. safety wise, it's probably you know an eight to ten range where yeah. they're okay. starting to be able to uh, understand some of the dangers. Right. Uh, but at a younger age, you know, there's you know somebody can make a spinning top and they could help color it with markers and sure. mm-hmm. and you know or mm-hmm. an egg mm-hmm. and just get excited about it and watch that process it's an amazing process to watch and i think nowadays there's so many wood turning videos online mm-hmm. pe- people love to watch them and, yeah, and i even, even like if to they, watch them. yeah they do um <laughs> but probably eight to ten or so mm-hmm. to to really start to try to get into it for for a long time the, the yeah. only thing that my son knew about the wood shop was if we had to go down there. I would turn him a top, uh-huh. and oh, he, he could play that, with that. That, that machine was for making tops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> else. <laughs> That's right. it. It's the top machine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's let's answer some some questions. We we sure. called out for uh, specific wood turning questions, and I'm hoping that this leads to more questions, and we'll keep doing this because sometimes we would get turning questions, and we'd answer them. The best we could, and then Amy would write in and say, "No, you guys missed that one." Okay, <laughs> and we'd have to apologize. 
because like because like I said, we're we're primarily flat work people. Well, there's also a thousand different opinions too. Oh sure, <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Always, yeah. You get five, no, we'll, get, we'll yeah. give ours. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. and and ours are right. Well, <laughs> right today, right now they are. You're, you're perfectly <laughs> entitled to my opinion. <laughs> All right, so the first we have uh, two questions that came in, or they're they're related, uh, from Nine Mile Tree, which I don't know if that's his given name. I think it's probably his Instagram handle. Um, I picked up a 1940s shopsmith a few months ago to use as a lathe. The turning tools that came with it are somewhat small compared to what I see turners using today. They also don't seem to stay very sharp. I just got a new roughing gouge, and it's a world of difference. So first part, can you recommend some turning chisels for someone starting out and turning? Or what What are you looking for? Um, sizes and tool types. I'm considering updating either my parting tool or my skew chisel next. So we've all seen the, the little teeny tiny – I believe I have two craftsman sets – and a Miller's Fall set, and I've got the same thing that Nine, Nine Mile Tree's got going on. I've got a couple of gouges that I bought, and the rest are these little ones. And when you say little, are you talking about like mini turning tools or like uh, I don't know. Sort of standard size? Because I think uh, you say that you have a set of small tools. You want to have a standard set. Um, there, there are mini tool sets, which mm-hmm. can be used for pens and whatever. Also, you can use yeah. larger tools for pens, but um, – yeah, you know, I think you want sort of a basic kit. Uh, so, how long of a handle are you looking to get into? Uh, you know, I don't think that they necessarily have to be super long. Right. Okay, um, right. I, I don't. Well, I think um, my take on this is if he has a 1940 shopsmith and he has the tools that came with it, chances are they're high carbon steel and they're not high speed steel, which is probably the answer as to why they're not staying sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the high-speed steel tools that are out there now, they're harder to sharpen. You need a grinder. Specifically, you need a grinder to sharpen those, whereas the high-carbon steel, you could probably get away with sharpening them on um, hand whetstones, et cetera. Okay. But the high-speed steel, it's harder. It will stay sharper longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the handles go, I think if he's using... If the lathe itself will allow you to use a longer handle, it gives you more leverage. What? All right. So, what? What aspect or element of the lathe would allow you to? Well, if you were hollowing out a bowl, okay, the further you have the tool off the tool rest into the bowl, mm-hmm. the longer the handle should be. Okay, so the long, the big long handles are to get depth. Also, to give you more balance and control of the tool. Okay. Especially if it's a scraping tool, you definitely have to have a longer handle on it. Right. And as Janet sort of alluded to, it depends on how far your cutting edge is hanging over the tool rest. Okay. The further off, you know, the more grabby it's going to be. And the longer handle will help you to offset some of that. Well, in in Uh, my turning experience, limited, but mostly spindle turning, I try and keep the tool rest. As close, close and to you, smart. Piece as and you should. possible. You have the mm-hmm. most leverage. But I guess yeah. when you're in, in bowl world, you can't. Well, you can get tool rest at a curve that fit into the bowl, but you never can really get it exactly where you might always want it. Okay, so that's really like the next level of skill. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. yeah that's a yeah. bit more advanced. Yeah. But as far as, um, you know, the, the, the first question, I'm considering updating either my parting tool or my skew chisel, get the parting tool. 
Really? Weight on the skew chisel. Why is that? Uh, the parting tool is going to do a lot more for you than the skew. Skew chisel can do a tremendous amount, but there also comes with a huge um, learning curve yeah. in being able to make that skew chisel do what you hope it will do. Isn't that made for opening paint cans? That's what some people say. Some people say that, yes. Um, but it really, in the hands of, of a skilled wood turner, skew chisel is is almost like um, a, a extremely sharp hand plane. Yeah. Whereas the parting tool, the parting tool can do so much for you, in, both in spindle work, it can do a fair amount in bowl work as well. What do you use a parting tool for? So, I mean, I use it for parting, Obviously, right for um, sizing, sizing yeah, spindles, etc. You know, yeah. taking a wrench and, and mm-hmm. sizing joinery. I have, I have a diamond parting tool, and then I have a three sixteenths inch wide parting tool right. uh, for joinery. But what else other than parting? Well, it can be used once you've parted down to the size. It can be used to level that that cylinder that you've just made. Okay, it, it can be if you need to make, um, say, you're making tapered tenons for. Windsor chair legs, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the tenon is tapered. You can use that parting tool to actually shave off the wood instead of a skew chisel or a bowl, or a spindle gouge. See, we always make fun of Mike Peckvich because he only uses a parting tool. Oh, you shouldn't the- make fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't tell me to say that either. <laughs> but so, so a parting tool is... A highly yeah. used tool in your arsenal, it sounds like. It, it's one that can be. Okay. Do I always use it for things like that? Sometimes, sometimes I don't. I learned to turn beads with a parting tool when I was a student. Okay. One of my instructors showed me how to turn a bead with a parting tool. I don't do it anymore because I try to do it now and it catches. But that's how I turned all my beads when I was a student. Are you using a skew chisel now? I usually use a, bowl, a spindle gouge. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's been On the other hand, yeah. you could argue that uh, a small skew mm-hmm. can do the work of a parting tool. You can do a peeling cut yes. to, to get that cylinder. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of tools that that have that can be used, you know, in a versatile way and different for different things. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to the question of the the tool steel, uh, high speed steel versus mm-hmm. carbon steel. And you're right that those tools are probably the old, you know, the, like you mentioned, the Craftsman set are yeah. probably carbon steel tools, and they don't stay sharp as long. Oh. But I know people who will seek out those tools mm-hmm. at garage sales and things like that because even though they don't hold an edge as long, you can sharpen them really sharp, and they, they get to a fine sharpness. So you're sharpening more often. Um, it's a softer steel. It's carbon steel, but it's uh, you can get a really fine edge on it. Okay. And that's because the – I'm going to sound like I know what I'm talking about here. Go for it. That's because the, the, the molecules are smaller. Okay. In the high carbon than they are in the <clears throat> the high speed steel. All right. And you can tell if you don't know if it's high carbon or high speed, the high carbon steel, when you grind it on a grinder, the the sparks are almost like um you know, the sparklers from yeah, Fourth yeah, of July. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. more sparks. Yeah, there's yeah. more sparks when you when you're grinding high high carbon steel. Yeah. Huh. And it gets hotter quicker. Yes. And you take the hardness out of yes. it much quicker. So Look how excited Jeff is. <laughs> He's getting into metallurgy and all this stuff. And Jeff's lighting up. All right. <laughs> Jeff, are we making sense here? <laughs> well, it's the two two drawers of turning tools that I've inherited. It's like, oh, I know what to do with those. I don't have to just open paint cans yeah. with those. But definitely some people prefer the carbon steel. Yes. Even though mm-hmm. it doesn't 
hold an edge as, as long. So I can't use that as my excuse? No. Nah. All right. Okay. So here's my last element of that question, though, is do for a parting tool – so you, you, you would lean parting tool over a scooch. Well, I would say – Somebody getting into it. If, if the money is there, you know, go to a store that sells equipment like Woodcraft mm-hmm. and, and watch for their sales because they have – Pretty awesome sales sometimes on yeah. turning tools, and buy them both. Well, that's always the answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's cheap. <laughs> um, or come to the symposium and buy them in the trade and show. You could try them all. You could try them. You can. Right? You There's can a lot of really great on. tool vendors. Yeah. Yes. Um, but are you going to see more of a difference out of a high carbon steel skew chisel or a parting tool? Between the two. Oh, if if both of them are high carbon, yeah. You could po- if they're sharpened properly, you can probably. Or, I'm sorry, high speed, whatever. High speed. Yeah. Okay. Which which high speed steel tool would you lean towards more? Both of them. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I probably s- yeah. should say for a beginner, I would say the parting tool. Okay. Yeah. If it's a beginner, yeah. for a yeah. beginner. But if it's someone that that all right, that might be the next one by right. the skew right. chisel. But I might say too that if if it's spindle work, the next one probably is a spindle gouge. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question about that later. Okay, all right. Um, so the second part of Nine Mile Tree's question: uh, How far should I be going with sharpening? I heard in a very old episode of Shop Talk Live with Richard Raffin that he only sharpens to some unthinkable grit of <laughs> sixty or eighty. <laughs> I got to tell you, I took a class with Richard Raffin uh, up at the Brookfield Craft Center uh, some years ago. He taught at Brookfield Craft? He did. Wow. He did. did. It was like a week-long class or whatever. That's awesome. Best thing I ever did in wood turning. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I was pretty early in my wood turning at that point, and I I didn't have a a sharpening jig Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And I was thinking, how am I going to sharpen? So, you know, what he did, and some other instructors do this too, is they'll just sharpen by hand and go Mm -hmm. over quick, quick, quick on the grinder. It gives you the tool back and all it cut beautifully. And he just was so experienced that he knew how to do that. Um, so I'm sorry, you say sharpen by hand and then grinder. Okay. So those two words don't normally go to. Okay. So I, I guess I mean sharpen yeah. by hand as opposed to using a jig. So you, okay. you can like get a the Wolverine like the Wolverine jig, jig okay, yeah, so. where you get a jig to hold the tool for you he's at just, a particular he's angle. He, where, and yeah. his hands are the jig yeah. and his experience is yeah. the jig. And, yeah. and, and he does a fantastic job of it. Um, How do you do a fantastic job of it? <laughs> no, I, I, now I have a Wolverine oh. jig <laughs> because when I try to do it by hand, it's like a multifaceted, uh, beautiful yeah. diamond thing. <laughs> but, uh, but I can get a, I can get a, a serviceable edge by hand. But if I really want to get a good edge, I use the jig. And it's also the jig is good because it's repeatable. You put it back in the in the holder; it goes right back. You're not cutting a whole new bevel every time, and you're not wasting as much steel each time you go to the grinder. Are you going straight from the grinder to the piece? I often do, yeah. Okay, so this is the thing that blows the, (laughs) you know, the bronze number four wielding crowd of going straight from a grinder to the work piece? Are you crazy? Yeah. Or because a lot of times, and Janet, and you, I'm sure you could say what your experience is, but you'll get a little burr off the grinder yeah. on the edge of the tool, and that cuts beautifully. Mm-hmm. The burr goes away quickly, and so a lot of times you're, you know, a lot of turners have their grinder very, very close to the lathe, or it's on wheels, and they mm-hmm. can move it around. So they turn 
do some sharpening, come back to the lathe, make another cut, especially on finishing cuts. Um, and what I'll do is have a, a diamond hone. So sometimes okay. uh, you can just hit that real quick and it brings that sharpness right back without having to go to the grinder. So the diamond hone is more maintenance in the middle. Yeah, it's like okay. a, it keeps you going until the and next time. And you're not worrying about the burr. Yeah, yeah I mean, no, I, it's gone. It's, the, the it's gone, gone as, soon as, it, as soon as it contacts that spinning wood. That burr is gone, pretty much. Right. You do the same thing. I, I do, uh, but I I probably hone my chisels, my turning chisels, more than say some do. Okay. Um, and I do use a, a the Wolverine system because it is repeatable, mm-hmm. and what it does is it it extends the life of your chisel, meaning you're not grinding more material off than you have to. But um, I think in my experience of teaching people how to turn, the number one thing that they don't do enough of is they don't sharpen their tools enough and then they struggle and they can't figure out why why is this not cutting and if you just freshen up that edge on the grinder it it allows you to be able to use the tool the way you should use the tool Mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to push it into the wood and then then you're not doing it the right way it's a really good point and people don't realize that when you learn Wood turning, you also really need to learn to be a sharpener. Yes. You have to yes, do that. You do. Otherwise, you're not going to have a good time. So, is the price of entry for wood turning a lathe and a grinder? And a bandsaw, perhaps. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I already know your MO, right? <laughs> Bandsaw's really nice. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, that could come for, a little later. For, yeah, the, for the spinny, well, I, get, yeah, Look, I know I how mean, Bandsaw works. You need <laughs> a lathe. You need a set of tools yeah. or at least a couple of tools. Um, you need to have something to sharpen your tools with. Yeah. Um, can, a slow speed grinder is the most typical thing. Yeah. Um, of course. Can that be sandpaper glued down to a piece of float glass? Probably not because yeah. the high speed. If it's high speed steel, it's it's um, the actual speed of the grinder and the makeup of the wheel takes away the the steel that you're trying to take away to sharpen okay. it. Whereas <clears throat> by hand on those glass plates with sandpaper, you can probably do it. But that's almost a better system for flat tools too. Mm-hmm. Whereas the grinding wheel, you know, and you have a way of rotating the tool on the tool rest. I think it might be. That's true. It's probably doable, but it might be a lot harder. Yeah, especially for a bowl gouge where the the geometry of the the, the bevel is is curved. And so if you were doing it on a a flat surface, it would be be kind of awkward. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's let's move on to question number two before we get into the serious weeds of, of, of <laughs> yeah. grinding a bull gouge on a flat surface. <laughs> I've never uh, seen anybody do that. <laughs> I'm going to try it when I get back home. <laughs> um, from Andrew, what are the reasons for having a dedicated scraper versus using a skew at a different angle? And that part I'm confused by. Mm. I'm sure you're not. Oh. Do I really need to spend the money on a scraper? I think I understand what he's saying that, mm-hmm. you know, you could take your skew and turn it on its side and present it flat, flat on the tool mm-hmm. rest as a scraper. The, oh, my, yes. my take on that is that it's a, a skew has two bevels. Yeah. Right. And they're equal. It's like a knife edge. Yeah. Uh, they're equal bevels. And so uh, by turning it on its side, you're kind of using it as a negative rake scraper as opposed to a traditional scraper, which 
has one bevel coming up the bottom. If I had a whiteboard, I could draw that, but uh, it's it wouldn't a, help our audio only. <laughs> right, there you go. So uh, a skew is not a scraper because it it's it has two bevels that are equal, and it's more like a negative rake scraper. So a more traditional scraper has the one bevel coming up from the bottom. So on a on a scraper you would use at a lathe is it the same as a card scraper where you're using the burr no um yes using the the burr the concept is the same if you're using the burr okay yeah i mean on a uh, traditional scraper right i know some people who do use card scrapers on the lathe lathe too but it's it's pretty atypical Mm -hmm. but the but the theory is the same right and i think that um when i saw this i immediately thought of of um uh, one of the folks that I sort of learned a lot of turning, bowl turning from when I presented, I was, um, it was at a um, hands-on class, I think. This was a long time ago. The skew chisel was very familiar to me as a, a spindle turning tool. And I was taught to turn that scraper on its flat and use the point of it to refine the shape of the bead because that long point of the skew fit right into that tiny little wood area and i would use that as a scraper to refine the bead and i still do that if i need to okay but it's it's small tiny bits of wood you're taking off whereas a scraper you know if you talk about using uh, um the skews are probably thinner and the fact that you've got a double bevel makes that cutting edge very thin right there too so using it as a really heavy duty rough scraping tool you're going to kill the edge really quick You're going to make that edge really dull. You're going to roll that edge over. Whereas a scraper that's dedicated to roughing is going to be thicker, heftier, and be able to withstand that um, roughing action. Okay. So I've heard Peter Galbert say like the sharpest chisel or the sharpest thing in his shop at any given moment is his skew chisel. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so you're saying basically doing what Andrew's talking about about, is basically just beating his skew chisel and it's just not worth it to you well if it's the only tool you have and it does the job yeah there's nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with it it will it will do it it won't do it as long term as as a scraper i probably the other issue too is if you skew chisel is sharpened at a uh if you're looking at the the face of the chisel you know you have the long point and the short point if that's a, a pretty steep angle and you're presenting that cutting edge as a scraper, your hand has to be way over off mm. the tool rest to present that cutting edge. Whereas a scraper that's dedicated to that task, it's hitting the wood almost at 90 degrees. So the, 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 the handle and the, the steel is at 90 degrees to the wood, whereas the skew chisel, because of the angle that it's ground, is going to be off, way okay. off 90. Yeah, yeah. Right, Which, if it's not flat across. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And bear in mind, if you do use a skew as a as a chisel uh, or as a scraper, sorry, um, it's gonna you got to take off very fine light cuts. It's not for hogging off material like a, a traditional scraper would. But you do hog off material with a traditional scraper. You can. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can. It can be yeah. a, a, an aggressive tool yeah. as well. It can be. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. I have a lot to learn about turning. Uh, the, the scraper, scraper, the scraper is, is a very yeah. versatile tool. You, really you can do a lot of shaping mm-hmm. with it. You can turn it up on its side and do shear scraping, which is a very fine finishing cut. Um, for years and years, you know, they use scrapers, um, and people, 
there's nothing wrong with using scrapers. Okay. If we get into that debate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, right. I know. Oh, is there, like, contention about scrapers and the... Well, I don't know if there's contention, but people will say that, you know, you shouldn't scrape that surface because you should use a bevel rubbing tool and you'll get a finer uh, cut, uh, which is true. Um, but if you get a good result from your scraper and you enjoy that, it's all about enjoyment. Exactly. It's all about yep. do, do exactly. what works for you. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Nobody, at the end, they look, they look at your piece, your bowl or whatever you've made. Nobody knows how you got there. You yeah. know, only you know that. And that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. Right on. All right. Well, let's let's take a quick break. Ten bucks a month. Ten bucks a month is all it takes to get a subscription to the magazine, full access to the website, including all of our video workshops, like Mike Pekovich's that's airing right now, and Chris Gochner's and Matt Wada, and some epic, epic videos that go further in depth than anything you're going to find on YouTube. I truly believe the Fine Woodworking Unlimited membership is stone cold the best deal in online woodworking education. So get the subscription to the magazine, get it delivered to your door, and get access to the finest video series that you're going to find on the web. Also, you get access to the complete online archive, which is every issue of Fine Woodworking Magazine that's ever been published. All 281 of them at this point. So head on over to the website, click on members, and start your 14-day free trial. If you like it, it's $9.99 a month or $99.99 a year. I'll come right out and say it's $100. But it's the best $100 you'll ever spend towards becoming a better woodworker. All right, question number three. And this one, uh, this one... Jeff, pull up a, that photo for question number three. I love the ingenuity of Jason here. Uh, I'm making the base for Michael Robbins' desk in Fine Woodworking issue number 270, and I'm a novice wood turner. I was surprised to find that the rear stretcher length of 49 and 1 16th of an inch is too big for the biggest lathe I have access to. Furthermore, an online search didn't turn up any lathes that will turn a spindle larger than 48 inches. I guess we should have seen that coming. Um, I was able to make this work by arranging two lathes end-to-end. And he's, he works out of a makerspace with multiple lathes. But how would you make this work using just one lathe? In short, how do you turn really long spindles? A really long lathe. That's the only way? Uh, no. Well, no. Not There's the other way. ways. Right. There's... Okay. But that's the, that's the most obvious way is get a really long lathe. Yeah. With right. most, most people don't have the space for or the mm-hmm. resources or the desire. To, mm-hmm. you don't, how often are you going to do that unless you're a professional? But the, the idea that comes to mind is uh, to break it up into shorter pieces and join them. Uh, using a mortise and tenon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of course, a mortise and tenon on the lathe is going to be round. Uh, the hole is round and the tenon is round. It's still a mortise. And it's tenon. still a mortise and tenon, right? Exactly. Um, you know, you, and you try to combine it uh, at a strategic point in your spindle, like at the at you know in between beads, perhaps, or uh-huh. somewhere where you could easily hide it, maybe with a burn line or something like that. That mm-hmm. that's what comes to mind for so me. Turn is, it into an element. Yes, yes, and. Um, when I saw this, um, question, when you sent it, I immediately thought, oh, right, bedposts, tall bedposts. Have I done that? Yeah, I have done that. And my lathe wasn't long enough to turn a 72 inch long or longer bedpost. So you break it down into components where, um, it can, that can happen. 
Uh, one bed that I made recently, not recently, a fairly bit of time ago, had <clears throat> ball and claw feet, but the rest of the post was turned. You can't turn the section where the ball and claw foot is because it's a cabrio leg. So that was broken, <clears throat> excuse me, that was broken down into components at a very logical point where the square post turns um, transitions into the round post. So let me ask you this, because I was recently saddled with the with something similar to this, where my, my wife is a weaver and we're assembling one of her booths for this specific show, and I needed to make dowels 48 inches long that she could fit into her luggage. So I thought of it as a pool cue and did threaded inserts and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, epoxy threaded rod and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Getting that joinery dead in the center was shockingly difficult. It is. So how do you do the joinery for a bedpost or something like that? Well, in for the to drill the hole that accepts the tenon. The tenon part's easy. Yeah. Because that's between centers. But to to do the hole, what I did was I built a, a, a carriage that supported the square section of the where the mortise was going to be so that it was the the dead center of the square section of that was dead center with the drill bit that was mounted in the the um jacob's chuck in the heads in the headstock okay so you just jigged up i jigged it up yeah. so that it was yeah. and the headstock had the bit spinning and the tail stock projected the the post into the headstock <clears throat> oh, okay. So the carriage. So the opposite of weight of how you're normally drilling right. on the lathe. That's right. Usually yeah. the, the drill bit is held in a drill chuck in and the tailstock, yeah. and that's advanced into the spinning wood. And what Janet's describing is the opposite. Well, I I prefer that method of having the drill bit in the headstock okay. because that's powering the drill bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I drill press the drill bit yeah, is power. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You that's just, right. Yeah. Right. So. You know, you're, what my, um, to um, convert that lathe into a drill press is, you know, I've just mounted that, the, the section that was drilled onto a carriage that then was projected into the drill bit by the tailstock. That's how I do all of the, all of them. That's yeah. really clever. Okay. I was that thinking another yeah. way to, to make a mortise is uh, you could, Drill a hole on a drill press, say a big, tall floor drill press, uh, before the turning. And that way you've got a hole established. And when you mount that piece on the lathe, you can use that hole as a centering hole using a cone center in your tailstock. So that way the piece is automatically centered on the hole that's already drilled. And if you drill the hole the exact size of your spur center for the headstock. It's going to. Bingo. Yeah, there you go. It fit right in there. Yeah. This is just going but the, next the, level. The, like, I mean, just one up and left and right. But for Jason, Jason has solved the issue quite nicely because, um, you know. <laughs> go to the show notes, everyone, and check out this photo because it's Yeah, it's, uh, you know, by putting those two lathes back to back, basically what he's done is he's created a longer lathe. Yeah. And if they're the yeah. same height, yep. has that been done before? It sure has. Absolutely. You know, people people will build lathes and have make the beds out of um, uh, wooden planks sure, so that they can turn long posts. You know, I know of um, uh, the 
students at North Bennett Street School in the carpentry program had some really long columns to make. Uh-huh. They put three beds together. <laughs> yeah, as long as your tail stock. Three beds together know, so that they had... Lines up. Yeah, so it's... So, so that, work, that's, that's cool. That's yeah. cool to do. Okay, I like. I know Tim Manny. I think has made wooden bed extensions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think oh, I've been somewhere else. I can't think of the guy's name, but yeah, I've seen wooden bed extensions, but they're always shorter. Yeah. And I always looked at that. I was like, "Ooh, is that safe?" But it's fine. I you mean, might get some more vibration wobbling of yeah. the, the longer okay. that piece is, but then you can also then build a steady rest too that, that steadies the spin the turning, which Jason what's, might what's a steady rest? So in, in um back to Jason's question, you know, he's got that long piece there and a steady rest is just a um a, a, what would you call it? Like an armature that sort of goes skateboard wheels. Okay. Picture picture three skateboard wheels in a in a, a circular fashion and it goes around the spindle it allows the spindle to spin but it stops the spindle from whip or con, you know yeah. uh, non-concentric spinning otherwise turning in the middle of a 49 inch <clears throat> piece that's going to deflect <clears throat> away from the tool yes and you can build a steady rest you know something as simple as a block of wood that's clamped to the to the bed ways that has a post that comes up that is maybe even just something that has a v-notch cut in it that comes right against that spindle turning so that the turning can't push away oh, okay. from the turning. So they can be simple. Yes. So, yeah, because yes. I've seen like these big, huge contraptions that yeah. look like they cost as much as my lathe. Yes, <laughs> and they could, but it they just... Can. <laughs> yeah, they can. Yeah. How much was your study rest? <laughs> well, I, I actually don't have a study oh, okay. rest. <laughs> um, I, I haven't turned anything that long that I really need to, okay. to worry about yeah. that. But a lot of people use them... Uh, in hollow turning, if you've got a longer, like a, say a, a tall vase or something mm-hmm. like that, uh, where the cutting action is pretty far away from the the mounting at the headstock, um, you could, you know, it's you want to steady that. So they'll have these armatures, and, and a lot of them are shop made with mm-hmm. skateboard wheels and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. As long as it's steady and you know it holds it firmly, and like like Janet said prevents it from deflecting because yeah. your tool pressure, uh, you're pushing against the wood. And so it's going to, you know, in addition to cutting, mm-hmm. you're actually exerting pressure uh, laterally. So it, it works against that. Hmm. Huh. Well. So the only improvement I could see for Jason is make a steady rest. You'll be. Yeah. You can batch them yeah, up. I mean, 49 that's... inches. That is long. And I've been to Michael Robbins' shop, and I believe he's got a six-foot lathe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have you know he's, with, he's got the Albreed size lathe. That's just absurd. Keith Gotchall is a turner out in Colorado. Do you know Keith? I know of him. I he's, don't know him personally. He's a professional turner, and he's he's got some older equipment. Oh, yeah. uh, and I know he's got a really long lathe. I don't know if it's ten feet long or something like that. Heavy duty, and he he'll turn massive pieces. So do do each of you have multiple lathes? I have two. You have I two. Do. I have two mm-hmm. also. Uh, Why two? Why not? Um. Well, we know you just like having tools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think I, I have I have the the extremes. Okay. I have a, a twenty four thirty six one way lathe <clears throat> with a five foot bed extension. Oh, oh. Okay. So I can so, turn. So this spindle wouldn't be a problem for you. No, I can turn eight. <laughs> I can turn eight feet between centers. Okay. And I also have um, headstock outboard. So the overall length of my lathe is over 12 feet long. 
All right. Headstock outboard is when the headstock spins? No. Oh, yes. Yes and no. It can be. It's when you can mount something on the outside of the headstock and spin it. And you can have a tool rest and a... um, Etc. to turn okay. larger diameter. So that allows me to turn something, I think it's like 44 inches in diameter if I wanted. Okay. But right. then I also she have... She doesn't mess around. No, yeah. she doesn't mess around. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she doesn't. You know, maybe this isn't appropriate, but I had a marriage proposal because of that lathe. <laughs> <laughs> Which I promptly told him, now would your wife really appreciate that? <laughs> <laughs> but I also have a um, a small um, jet midi lathe, which is a, t- a twelve twenty four, and okay. and I bought it because it's it's a great little lathe for demos to bring to demos, okay. etc. So it's you can hard throw to, it in the truck. Yeah, and, it's hard yeah. to bring a twelve foot lathe with you. <laughs> <laughs> a trailer, yeah, right. just have it built into a trailer, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about yeah. you? You have two. I do. I have the same basic lathe as Janet, the one way twenty four thirty six. I don't have a bed extension on it. Okay. I haven't needed it. Um, I was going to say one thing is that uh, you can turn small things on a big lathe. Yes, you But can. you cannot turn big things on a small lathe. Yeah. So if you're able to get a larger lathe, um, it's just more versatile. Um, anyway, my second lathe is a very small mini lathe, which was uh, used for demonstrations. Okay. You know, I used to sell stuff at craft fairs, and I would set up a lathe and do demonstrations, and uh, that was a good one for that, turning okay. tops and things like yeah. that. Um, but you know, I'm just, people would say, well, I'm just one tool away from perfection. (laughs) (laughs) But so, so when you're using, when you're in, in your shop outside of demonstrations or whatever, you're using your big one ways or whatever, both of you. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. So this is a personal question that I had, I had sent and I don't know if we're going to be able to get to all of them. So, but what is, um, what's something you look for in a used lathe is that is, is the used lathe market a thing or yeah definitely. i mean outside of old like i have an old delta that i got that it works you know um but if if i was buying it from a stranger off craigslist what would you look for if you were getting into wood turning if you're looking for a used lathe um i think first and foremost you want to look for the same kinds of features that you would look for if you're getting a new one so uh you want it to be hefty heavy so it's going to reduce vibration um electronic variable speed is increasingly like a necessity and uh, it used to be that they're all belt changes mm-hmm. um and that's a really important feature um but aside from those things just make sure everything is functional make sure all the locking mechanisms are you know not broken, you know, since it's used, um, make sure as, as best you can that the, uh, the headstock drive center is going to match up with the tailstock live center. Oh, I can so, see that. Getting you know, mm-hmm. that can get mm-hmm. over the years, but also those things can be adjusted. So there's, there's adjustments and shims and things like that. Okay. So, so it could be made right. So you can get a really good value used. So, um, so it's kind of like a drill press where it's like, does it, does it spin? Do you hear bearings right. grinding or anything sure, like that? You're right. good to go. Is there anything obvious? You know, but otherwise you're looking for features. Okay. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? I, yes, yes, I do agree. One one other thing too, and I'm not so sure how prevalent it is anymore, but um, sometimes you can come across used lathes that are um, odd. I don't want to say odd brands, but they're um, you know the the spindle of the lathe, the the diameter and the threads per inch. That can be um, certainly addressed if you want to buy 
chucks for it because you'll buy an adapter that fits that. Okay. So if it's an odd size spindle with an odd screw pattern, most good machinists can give you a, a, a an adapter that will work. The other thing that can be an issue, though, is if the headstock and the tailstock have a somewhat odd taper. Uh, Morse taper. Because most uh, lathes are Morse tapers, and most components you buy now are number one, two, or three Morse tapers. But if that taper is not a Morse taper... You're not going to be able to get... You may not be... Well, again, you'll have to have custom things made for it. Okay. So I just assumed that all... Drill, you know, drill press. <laughs> all lathes are a number two Morse taper. No, no right? No. And that's a really good point. Make sure mm-hmm. that you get a, a common spindle size, spindle thread size and Morse taper size right. so that you, the, the, the most uh, accessories will fit your lathe. Right. Would it be worth – because one of the first things I bought was um, a Jacob's chuck on mm-hmm. a number two Morse taper mm-hmm. to use in my lathe. Would it be worth, I think it was 30 bucks, you know, would it be worth getting one to test out a Morse taper, to test the Morse taper on a... Well, you could probably, um, let's see, how else could you do that? You could... Well, you're, well, you're saying you if, if you're looking at a used lathe, yeah. well, ideally, if you get the specs on that lathe and look it up online oh, okay. sure. and say, hey, well, here's an old Delta Rockwell or whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. what did they use? Yeah. Uh, and you can find that stuff. That information is out there. Okay. Yeah, I almost was going to say, well, if you could turn a taper, but you need the lathe before you could turn the taper to test the taper in the new lathe, right? <laughs> Which came first. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so. huh, all right. Okay. So um, – one last question, and we'll probably have to answer this one quickish, um, is from a buddy of mine, Mitch, who uh, he, he – this is one of those things that I didn't think people actually made, but he's, he makes double basses, so the huge orchestral basses. That's what Mitch makes. I, everybody should follow his Instagram because it's really interesting. That's this cool, Mitch. Other, yeah. I got to check it out. Otherworldly <laughs> woodworking. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll post a link. But uh, I spend all day in the shop wearing the hat of a double-based luthier. Scraps and cutoffs from double bases are very large, and I can usually make them make some fun stuff out of base waste, such as bookmarks, cutting boards, kid toys, pizza peels, coffee scoops. I have a hefty machine room and a nice hand tool collection. I have one of those small mini micro lathes, and um, as best I can tell, this is like a little metal lathe. I use it daily for making taper parts for bases. My question is, there is, a ha- is there a hack for the small lathe to be able to use my gouges and other turning tools like you would with a larger lathe? So, and this brings up another question. is like, I love the idea of having a small little metal lathe because sometimes I, I need them. Is, is this something that you could, wh- why do not, why don't wood turners use metal lathes? I mean, the the most obvious thing that comes to me is that the the tool rest uh, is, you know, your tool is held by hand on a wood lathe, obviously, right? So you need to have a tool rest that's movable um, and not fixed to the cutter, which is the situation on a metal lathe. Okay. Yeah. So you'd have to rig up some kind of movable tool rest that you use as a fulcrum point for your handheld tool. Okay. So hmm. perhaps if if that if the um, machinist component tool rest could be taken off of the lathe and a regular uh, fixed to the bed wood turner's um, 
tool rest could be put on there, and he could probably make one if he's got all of the equipment and all these offcuts. Oh, he can yeah. make a he nice makes double bases. Right. Mitch, make you can make a tool rest and a new banjo on that thing. Those. The other thing that he could do too is if he wanted to just use that tool rest. He could just use scrapers, you know. If he's using those tools that that he's using to, and is it metal parts that he's scraping? He's. I would think it's ebony, honestly. Okay, so um, he's cutting wood already. If he's yeah. using the scrapers, he could do that. You know, there is a. Um, just with the actual thread guided. Yeah, metal. yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it's not going to be. You're not going to be able to make really fine beads and such that's where you're gonna that's where your hand comes into play okay. with the tool but there's a well-known um turner sculptor in vermont uh, michelle holzefell that does the majority of her turning on a machinist lathe and i th- remember reading um a, a story by about her that she didn't like the idea the idea of her hands holding the tool she liked the she liked the control and the sense of of safety that she felt mm-hmm. by having the machine as the tool held in place, but it, you know, her her work is probably minimally done on the lathe, and then the majority of it is carved off the lathe. She was on, <laughs> on an episode of Craft in America, I believe. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I her, remember her yeah. work is amazing, but the, you know, she had a machinist lathe given to her by. Maybe it was a father or uncle or something. Uh-huh. And she just made it work for what she wanted. And those could be made to work too. You just have to either, like Josh said, outfit a tool rest that you can move closer to the wood and use the tools held by hand or use that tool rest with the scrapers. Huh. Yeah, okay, sure. yeah. No excuses, Mitch. That's right. Let's see some <laughs> let's see some good turnings there. Yeah. You Did you get the banjo bass. joke in there that I threw in? Uh, no, no, there was definitely <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> Why well, are they called the, banjos? That's a weird. It's a weird name for that thing. So the tool, oh, the tool right. rest is held by why is it a called piece that? called a banjo. Yeah. Why? Like, and is there an etymology behind that, or is it just that's what? I don't. I don't know. I bet it was some British turner from a long time ago that. Which came first, the banjo on a lathe or a banjo? I bet you a banjo on the lathe because it's the first actual industrial machine. I'll have to look into this. Jeff probably knows. We'll get back to you. Okay. <laughs> Jeff knows all the weird things in the world. Does he? Yes. Good guy to have around. Well, I think that does it for like our first turning extravaganza here on Chop Talk cool. Live. It's been awesome having you both here. And where can we get more info about the symposium? Where can we get more info about the AAW? Yeah, cool. So check out the AAW is at uh, woodturner.org. And uh, our upcoming symposium is June 4th through the 7th. And all the information is on the website. Yes. Um, it's also in American Wood Turner. Uh, and we just encourage you to come. It's, it's just like a, the symposium is a, an incredible experience. Um, I heard somebody say it was like the Super Bowl of wood do- woodworking. That was <laughs> wood turning. Super Bowl of wood turning. <laughs> Super Bowl of wood turning. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, and the, the website also has um, – information about the the symposium but it also has a lot of information for beginners like josh mentioned there's the fundamentals which is a a publication that that he oversees as well that um it's it's per its title it's fundamentals of is, of wood is that in front in front of the paywall is that uh so when you become a member of the okay. aw you get uh you get the journal or we call it the journal american wood turner six issues per year and you also get uh wood turning fundamentals which is mm-hmm. quarterly uh and that one's a digital publication okay 
Um, but it's all on the website. You also get all kinds of resources um, and and the whole history of uh, articles. Uh, so you are, get access to you get access the backlog back and back to 1986. Okay. Uh, all these uh, wood turning articles and resources and videos. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's if you're looking to learn about wood turning, uh, go to woodturner.org. It's a okay. good it's a good place. Right on. Well, one added thing too is that it's a great way to network too. If you tr- if you're in an area somewhere in the country that you don't know, how can I learn about wood turning? Go to the woodturner.org website, search for a chapter because is chapters all over the world. And this is something and, that's I've I feel like wood turners are better at grouping up mm-hmm. than other woodworkers. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's a lot of turning clubs around. There, yeah, we have and uh, there's a turning club around here, right? Yeah, right. I didn't know that until I went to your website. It, it meets yeah. at the Brookfield Craft Center. It's the Nutmeg Wood Turners. Okay. Um there's also several couple in Massachusetts and all around. There's oh, the, sure. the Adirondack yeah. Turners. Anyway, yeah. the AAW has about 350 chapters around the country and around the world. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I think wood turners, you know, they love to get together and there's usually a demonstration. Mm-hmm. Watch people turn something, learn something, ask questions. It's a great, great way to learn. Get free wood. Get free wood. Because they always have <laughs> there's, you there's know, some raffles. Of raffles and it's like, oh, I love uh, the raffles. Wood turning clubs are fun. They're social. <laughs> right. um, yeah. And and it's a the best way to learn is is to have people you could ask questions and the AAW does that for you th- mm-hmm. partly through the chapters but also just through the networking like you said Janet that's great awesome awesome yeah all right well that's all for this episode of Shop Talk Live if you have questions you'd like us to answer on the show send them into shoptalkatalk.com if you're watching on YouTube please click that thumbs up button head to the show notes to get more information uh, I'll link to all of the stuff that um, of all of the AAW and the fundamentals. And, and everything that, that Josh has mentioned here. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having us on. Yes, thank you very much. Just a quick note before the music finishes up. I want to let everyone know that your questions are what drives the content here on Shop Talk Live. The same way that the magazine is written by the readers of Fine Woodworking, Shop Talk Live is led by the listeners. So if you enjoyed this woodturning episode, send us more woodturning questions and we'll do more of these. So it's on you. <laughs>